0: Comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network.
1: Okay, Bill. We are recording. Episode 347. Bam, 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 bam. Half hour wasted. It's a show about a whole bunch of stuff.
0: Tonight's episode, The Most Dangerous Game.
1: Ba-da-ba-ba-da. And now, here's Brad, Frank, and Bill! And that's when I said, that's not an umbrella. That's Whoa. my wife! That's my wife! Whoa. Hey! Hey! That joke, Frank... Is an ender. <laughs> an ender, that's right. As in what we're going to talk about tonight.
0: No way. Ender's that was, game. That was completely accidental. <laughs> There's no way you can pin that one on me. I did not mean to do that. Hey, welcome can to A Half head Hour head. W-
1: Wasted, episode 347. It's Frank and. B.O.
0: B-O. and. Where's Brad? Brad is—he's uh, decided to take the night off. Apparently, he—he uh, uh, he actually couldn't make it. He had
1: some—I uh, think he had some truck issues. But we've come up with the solution. <sighs> Buy him a new
0: family truckster. <laughs> That's right. The old family truckster. Get him an AMC Gremlin. You he know would what? love that. I would love—I would love to give him a Gremlin. And I used to have an old family truckster. Really. Now, Brad, you know, I mean, I had that, the, that F-150 back oh, in the day. Oh, yeah, yeah. Those were good days, too.
1: Well, we were going to call him up on phone. And, Bill, you got yes. your Bluetooth oh, speaker
0: working. Because I live in the 21st century.
1: Let's get Brad on the phone. Is it time?
0: Yeah, let's do it. Fantastic. So
1: we're kind of, uh, Brad, we had talked about doing it, but we hadn't confirmed with Brad that we were going to do this. Okay. So this might be kind of a surprise. To I hope it is. Well, mild surprise. I hope this works it'll work. We're only a few weeks away from episode 350. I am betting by now we have uh, enough people to call out to. Yes. So, um, but that is going to be an epi- uh, a live recorded... Good well, we sh- evening. Shouldn't it be on speaker? He-
0: Why are you not showing up at the speaker? This is ridiculous. I'm having technical issues. Oh. Stand by. Stand by there. Okay, now? Now what? Hey! Oh. Brad! Sorry. I'm not disappointed that you're here. I'm disappointed that it's not coming in over my ding dong um, Bluetooth my little Bluetooth speaker. What the heck, man! This
1: Brad, is wrong, Brad. We're recording right now. We wanted to record you on the fly, but Bill
0: can't get the okay. Bluetooth. But Bill can't get the Bluetooth speaker to work. I had this Bluetooth speaker standing by and ready to roll. We were just listening to music on it. It was great, and uh, I've done phone calls on this thing before. Do I don't it know it again. Why it's not picking up try, now. Try to match it up again. Try to match it up again. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll uh, we'll give it a shot. I mean, I'm I'm connected okay. to it right now. I'm gonna get rid of this. I'm gonna go into my I'm system on settings. Speaker right now. Oh, yeah, you're yeah. on speaker right now. Yeah, but it's like the uh, it's the phone speaker, not the Bluetooth uh, loudspeaker. So
2: I think uh, he I'm wondering if, if you're gonna get a good recording for a good level of me on the speaker. I'm, what I'm saying is balanced with you guys. Like I'm not too close to the recorder, am
1: I? Nah, no. No. I mean, Brad, I I am monitoring, and uh, you sound fine. You sound like you're coming through a little speaker. If we can get you through the Bluetooth, that would be better. Okay. Yeah, it would, wouldn't it? Wow. Doesn't look like it's gonna happen. Okay, Brad. Wow, Brad, we're gonna call you right back and see if that makes a difference. So stand by the phone, okay? Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Bye. Right. Bye. Okay. Try try to to uh, uh, what's the word? Pair. It is match. paired.
0: It's connected. I can prove it by doing this. Okay, here we go. Uh, Let's roll with... uh, um, Sure, let's go with this.
1: That's episode 350, coming up in just a couple days. Okay. This is
0: me completely blowing uh, copyright uh, (laughs) regulations out the window. Okay, Okay. but hopefully y'all are enjoying the LCD sound system. I know I do. So, okay, so that's coming from my phone. So that proves that I'm connected that far, and I swear... I swear to Jeebus that I've done this before and uh, have done phone calls on it. Okay. It says it'll work. Uh, I mean, I could, uh, I could plug the, um, I could plug the phone in or something like that. Well, yeah, you could. It might be the here, ticket. Let me. Uh, let's see. Let's about, get Brad let's on see about this. Hang on, I've got it I at this cable thing right here, and uh, I'm going to plug it into the Bluetooth. I like that you use Gong. This is high quality. Uh, Ooh. Television. That's causing by something. The way. What? I'm getting a noise,
1: a radio noise. Oh no
0: when i did that
1: yeah no noise now really plug it back in yeah i plugged in a cable oh nothing it's fine okay
0: okay all right well, i'm gonna try calling brad up uh like this and we'll see what happens okay i'm gonna go with the corded option here uh for those of you i'm uh, always
1: back uh, behind the scenes here whenever uh, the choice comes mm-hmm. up between wireless and corded i always go corded. yes
0: no cord is good i'm afraid brad might not I might not be hearing this because it's plugged in and Brad might be saying hello. And I might be saying, um... But we would hear something in here particular? on the speaker,
1: wouldn't we? Possibly.
0: Possibly. But, uh, I don't know. Okay, yeah, see, I thought you were there. It's not working. not working? No, here, technology see. is failing me.
1: No, I'm oh, going to get sorry. this to work. Hold I'm really on. bummed out. Hold on, I'm going to get this to work.
0: I want to know, if Frank gets this to work and I can't, then I cede my position as a, uh... Uh, as a 21st century citizen i will go back to the 1970s and i will wonder I what is this
2: why we're recording the way we
1: are tonight no i was going to leave that up to to you brad all i said was that you were having some truck issues that's all but i didn't go into well, detail
2: am i uh, am i coming through enough that i can record while you're messing with the bluetooth
1: mess? uh we're giving up on that but you sound good we can hear you
2: okay well um the plan was to record without all of our equipment tonight because my laptop died uh, a couple nights ago, or no, last yesterday, and um, we were just going to set the reporter on the table, much like you guys are doing now, but uh, my car started acting funny. You know, cars these days are controlled by computers, much like most things, and apparently my car is having computer issues. Uh, before I was going to head out to eat Bill's, I took uh, my daughter to dinner. We were in the restaurant for 30 minutes. And I came back, started up the car,
0: and it dinged at me, and it said reduced engine power. What does that
2: and mean? It,
0: uh, huh? What does that mean?
2: Well, long and sh- the symptoms of the reduced Shit. engine power were that I could only go 30 miles an hour. It was, I mean, I floored I the pedal, and it felt like somebody was you guys were behind pushing the truck to, and finally got it up to 30 miles an hour. Again, long and short of it. I called my local mechanic that, I, that my car is a frequent visitor of, and he says he thinks the throttle body is going bad. It's controlled by computer. He said, what, what you need to do is disconnect the battery for about five minutes. That'll reset the computer. It'll fake the computer out and reset the throttle body, and it'll let you drive home under normal power, which is, in fact, what I'm doing. I could have driven out to your house, but I don't trust this tr- trick to work again. So I'm actually driving back home under normal power Let's so I can't be uh, at home
1: and close to the
2: mechanic so I can take it there in the morning.
1: So Now, I I just looked up that, that problem and someone wrote on a board, TAC and TPS work together for safety purposes. One runs off the TAC motor to sense the position of the throttle motor as command and the TPS monitors it. If they don't agree, you get this message. Now, I don't know what TPS and TAC are.
0: You know what a TPS is. Oh, I do Oh, wait, is that that report? It's that incredibly, cover, that incredibly important cover sheet you got to put on your reports. Oh. Right, so the problem, Brad, right. with you is that you apparently didn't file the TPS report. No, see.
2: I did not get that memo.
0: This is bad. Um, you know what, Brad? Yeah. I'm afraid I'm, I'm going to need you to come in on Saturday this weekend. Ooh. Okay? Yeah. About nice. 9 o'clock? Yeah, and uh, maybe Sunday, too. So, All what right. do you... I'll try. That'll...
2: Anyway, that's why I'm, I'm uh, reporting this way. Um, I hate to mention recording, but, you know, we go with the flow. You know what I'm saying? I've yeah. had bad luck. I mean, my computer died.
1: Yeah, what my happened with your computer?
2: What? My mother's sister passed away two nights ago. My aunt still... She was a sweet lady. My mom's a wreck, and
1: everybody in the family is just devastated. Well, Um, and then and then my car. So I mean, it's
2: just a car. It's just a computer. You know, can't replace my aunt Phil. So
1: well, um, uh, before we go into your aunt, tell us uh, tell us about the the computer. What happened with the computer?
2: The computer, um, it will turn on. It will power on. The fan will come on. The CD drive will kick like it's searching you know, for a drive, but it won't go into BIOS. It won't even get to the BIOS stage, which actually boots the computer up. Um, I thought it was a new a, a hard drive problem, so I put a new hard drive in. That's not the problem. Oh. I tested the, the display with an external uh, display. I, I talked to uh, Russell Latham at length about it. I took it to a, a computer nerd friend of mine, and he played with it in person. So I've had to resort to taking it to the mom and pop computer repair store, and I told him everything I did, and he said, yeah, it does sound like it's a motherboard problem, which is what I heard from several sources. Mm. So there's a diagnostic being run on it, cheaper than the Geek Squad diagnostic, by the way. So that's, uh, you know, my whole life's on that. I'm in the middle of an editing project on that, a freelance editing project, so... But we can record this way, and I can record, uh, I mean, I can edit, you know, the beginning and end of the style.
1: Oh, the the you know, beginning but... is taken care of, Brad. Don't worry about the beginning. No, we, yeah. That has been taken care You've of. You've been hooked up. You'll have to listen uh, to hear right. it, but it has been taken care of. Uh,
2: no problem. I was really looking forward to doing it the way I suggested on our Facebook uh, chat, but Frank started making severe fun of me, for it. <laughs> we don't need
1: to do that no i was all for it that was just a jab that's all oh well we need to save that bit we need to save that bit for another episode that'll teach me not to read the facebook okay. stuff <laughs> but that was just that was just a friendly jab wow i must have missed something good um, um so gonna... uh, no worries so brad we were actually going to talk about ender's game uh this week have you seen it
2: i did see it i saw it um the morning it came out actually okay because my schedule uh, allows me to see movies in the morning. I have to be at work at on a weekday at 3 p.m. So I was able to go to. The, uh, we actually, me and my buddy Kevin went to the 9:45 uh, a.m. show for seven dollars, which is a bargain.
1: Hey, um, speaking of which, you know, we we had we you've had a lot of bad news, but you have had some good news.
2: Yeah, I was able to um, go back to work full time. I had been working four days a week, and uh, there were some crazy insurance issues with that and I lost my insurance because of the way I was classified in the system at work It's really dumb and stupid but long story short is I'm back working 48 hours a week full time. I'm a real boy as Pinocchio says. I got my health insurance back and all that so that's good and um, it cuts down. I I had three days off. Uh, I've got only two days off now. Tuesdays and (laughs) Thursdays. I'm sorry. Tuesdays and Wednesdays and it's usually Wednesday when we record so that's good. So that is
1: the good news, yes, and I'm, I'm happy about it. Good. Well, okay, so you saw Ender's Game uh, when it came out. I actually saw it Monday night. Bill, when did you
0: see it? I saw it uh, Sunday evening. Sunday evening. Okay. So
1: we've all seen it. Um, I guess let's do first impressions. Uh, Brad, why don't you go first? First impressions. Um, I liked
2: it. I was not blown away by it. I didn't think it was um, game-changing. Um I never read the book. I didn't know what to expect. I was surprised at the twist at the end. It did catch me by surprise. Uh, I liked that when that happened. I did not see it coming. I suppose I should have known it was coming, but like I said, I haven't read the book. Um, I liked it. It was a, it was an interesting idea that that kids could be the one that would save the world. You know, because they see the, they see things differently. Um, I thought the little kid, Asa Butterfield, I thought he did a great job. Um, I have a feeling, I have a very strong feeling that we got a, a glimpse of uh, what Hong Solo's going to be like if he shows up again. Um, <laughs> real, I got a real strong sense of, uh, of grumpy Hong Solo out of uh, Harrison Ford's character in this movie. But overall, I liked it. Um, Not. I didn't dislike it at all, but it didn't It didn't bowl me over with anything um, spectacular i mean the special effects were wonderful it was a it was a very entertaining wonderful movie
1: i thought and brad i agree with your sentiment on, uh, completely uh i really liked it didn't blow me away uh the ending that you're referring to um i did read the book in the book i thought it was telegraphed a mile away but in the movie they did a great job of not telegraphing it and it felt like a surprise to me it felt like a genuine surprise even though i knew that's where it was headed um but i did like it didn't blow me away bill
0: uh is this a spoiler podcast oh we're gonna yeah. spoil the heck as, out of it, us. as usual okay um wh- are, which ending are you talking about are you talking about the ending of the uh of the, the game? battle of okay. the game all right uh because um this movie, Ender's Game, has one of the biggest uh, false endings since probably Return of the King. Now there, there's two or three places where they could have stopped the movie easily and we could have walked out of the theater thinking, all right, and they kept going. And it, it felt really weird uh, the way you had so much epilogue to the movie uh, in, in so many words. Um, I listened to the unabridged audiobook on a car trip uh, on a vacation many, many years ago and loved it and was terribly excited when they announced the movie was coming out. I thought this is going to be great. Um, it uh, Release date showed up for it. I said I better read the book, so I, I sped through the book uh, again. So I just read it about three months ago, I guess. So it's reasonably fresh in my mind. And this is one of the few times uh, I'm not real good about reading a book before I go see the movie. Um, this time I did, uh, so it was fresh enough that I was actually a little disappointed in the amount of heart the movie sent to me. Um, I walked in expecting way too much out of it. I, I freely admit that I was, my expectations were unfair. There was no way it was going to uh, match up to what I was hoping it would be. Um, it hit all the major plot points. Um, I walked out feeling reasonably satisfied. I mean, the movie was movie was really pretty good, um, but the main, thing i felt walking out of the theater was it never really grabbed me emotionally and i ascribe a lot to that to the fact that i knew the book and i was kind of disappointed with the shortcuts that the movie took in relation to the book itself and we can get into that at any moment
1: yeah and and i agree with you on that bill but i thought that the pacing of it they hit those high points that you need to to get the character development and stuff yes in there and I thought they did. I thought they did a very good job of it. Uh, overall, I, I think they stayed very true to
0: to the book. It felt to me a lot like um, uh, Fellowship of the Ring, mm-hmm. especially the theatrical version, where Peter Jackson says, "I got this monstrous book, and I've somehow got to condense it into this movie." And so he takes out some things that are very obvious, whole chunks of the book, which can easily be taken out or changed slightly. Um, which won't harm the plot line, but will move the story along a lot quicker. Um, you know, notice that there's not even, do they even reference Tom Bombadil in the movies? I don't think they do. But they take out chunks of the book. They take out, um, they take out, uh, uh, the thing that I was interested most in reading the novel was the strategy that he employed in each of the battle sessions they went through. And in the novel, they go through a load of battle sessions. And in the movie, it's down to what three? three? yeah. So there were far more than that, and you really got the sense that um, that his strategy was evolving, that he was learning how to play other people, not just himself. Ender to me is a master uh, poker player because he was playing, and this is borne out by a lot of the exposition, a lot of the uh, discussion of the movie. But Ender is not so much—I uh, mean, he's he's a uh, fairly brilliant tactician, but what he's really doing is he's reading his opponents like a book. um, That was one thing,
1: one place where I thought the movie really succeeded was, you know, like you said, there's all these examples in the book of where you see um, his strategy growing and stuff like that. But I thought they did a great job of encapsulating that in that middle part of Mm -hmm. the movie, which in my my mind is is a success. They could have boiled it down to a couple lines here, or you know, painted it as dumb luck or whatever. But they, but they stayed true, and in what you could almost call a montage scene of sorts of of how how he had grown as a uh, tactician.
0: Yes, all, all we we're missing was the uh, slow dissolves and the Mike Post soundtrack.
1: <laughs> now, Brad,
0: I kind
2: of I kind of um, <clears throat> got a sense that much more time had passed and much more training had happened than we were actually shown. And maybe that's what you're saying about a montage. Yeah. A montage and
0: I'm uh, a, I'm really interested in your take in this, Brad, because you're the one of us that has not read the book. And I, I walked out of the movie theater almost wishing I had not read the book just so the movie could have been kind of fresh and brand new and I wouldn't have had any preconceptions going in.
1: Brad, were there... Well, I had, um, uh, Brad, were, were there any scenes that you questioned or didn't quite understand or you wondered about motivation?
2: No, not really. I mean, this maybe seemed <clears throat> simple is not the right word, but it, it didn't require any hand-holding on my part. You know, I didn't need to turn to somebody and go, what the hell is going on here? You know, like I find myself doing in a lot of films. And, that and, I,
1: and I think but that's um, where... I think that's where the movie actually succeeded because I agree with you. There, I just, I never felt like I'm struggling to understand a character's motivation. It was always kind of, it always made sense to me. It chugged forward in a good pace.
2: I'll tell you one, one character that stuck out to me, and I, I think they did a really nice job um, explaining his personality. And what's the, um, what was the green team name? Was it the Salamanders?
1: Yeah, Salamanders.
2: The, um, the leader of that team, he was the really short kid with the really pointy nose. Yeah. Um, he was the leader of the, of the group, but he was a head and a half shorter than everybody else in his group. And you've heard the, the phrase, uh, uh, I can't remember what it's called, short guy syndrome or yeah. small guy syndrome. Napoleon,
1: or... uh, Napoleon complex. Huh? Napoleon complex.
2: Yeah, I guess that's another way to say it. You know, he felt... I personally worked for a man at one point who totally was... Maybe he realized, maybe he didn't care, but he totally was this type of guy. He was shorter than everybody else, and he felt like he needed to prove a point every single day by the way he spoke, the quote-unquote practical jokes he pulled on everybody. He pulled at least one every day on somebody that worked with us. And I kind of got the feeling that that kid, whoever it was, I don't remember his name, but he's suffering from that, and he was afraid to lose his position or the respect of the others, and he felt like he had to make up for it by being a kind of a jerk, or not make up for it. But I'm sure that he did do that by being the type of guy he was. So um, I never had a problem understanding anybody's motivation at all. I mean, nothing. I never had to question anything like why is this happening. Um, if anything it was it was a, an entirely believable movie. Like there was nothing there was nothing that I mean, if you, you know, check your brain at the door and say, Okay, aliens have invaded the earth, I can accept that and they have these incredible ships, you know, the aliens and just basic science uh science fiction, you know, uh principles are like aliens exist and people have places you can get all past that and we all can because we love fiction. there was nothing about the movie that i found unbelievable um again i do not read the book but it all just seemed natural it seemed natural and real but nothing was forced like i just didn't have a problem with anything um so why didn't I love it? Love it? I don't know. You know why don't you love the, la- the latest Dan Brown book? It was great. It was <laughs> he wrote, but it's still good. You know what I'm saying? So um, I really did like it, but and if I watched it again, it would to be it would, it would be to watch some of the battle scenes. Some of the special effects were pretty cool. Like, now, this kid Ender was so smart. I was I was really impressed with his his uh, battle acumen. You know, the way he would strategize, I was, and I understand that's the point, and that's why Han Solo wanted him to leave the, the new army, but um, was, you know, I bought it all. I believed everything I saw, and, and I suppose
0: that's a good thing. I think one of the things that um, bugged me most was that you just, we were robbed of a lot of the backstory, and we were robbed of a lot of the subtext. Um, in the book, um, Graph is, Graph is a guy who's, kind of overweight and not real attractive, and he's kind of gruff, and he becomes... Well, that sounds a lot like a Han Solo in this movie.
1: He was, he, well, he at one point, Bill, the, there was a scene, it was later in the movie, where he was sitting in a in a chair, and he had a pot belly. Okay. And and he kind of was like, kind of slumped in his chair and did not look in his prime. And I thought, oh, there he is. He, you know, they're, they're showing him a little out of shape.
0: Yeah, well, they they mentioned this, um, uh, Han Solo mentions this in the movie, but he has to, um, he's basically creating, I mean, he takes Ender, who is a, a genius level tactician, and he's molding him. He's turning him into the one person who has the acumen to get them through these upcoming, uh, this upcoming bugger war. Um, by the way, in the book, um, the, uh, the Formics were referred to as the buggers. They were not refer, uh, referred to as the Formics uh, until sequels, and, uh, uh, in fact there's going to be a uh, uh i i think uh card is writing it with a, a co author but he's getting ready to write a second formic wars um, series that's coming out in two thousand and fourteen so uh um, don't know when next year but uh, for those of you who enjoyed Ender's game um, he's apparently going to strike while the iron is hot literally so good for him but there's so much going on um under the surface uh, there's so much of what he does what Graf does to ender is to create the person who defeats the buggers he isolates them on purpose he uh, he has him put in danger on purpose uh they mention this in the movie that ender can never feel safe he can never feel like anybody's going to come to his rescue is he's got to know that it's all on him if he doesn't if he doesn't survive if he doesn't get through school, if he doesn't win the fight, if he doesn't defeat the bully, if he doesn't defeat the game, it's on him. Nobody out there is helping him. And with that said, he's got his trusted little uh, inner circle of uh, friends who you get to know a lot better in the book. Not a huge surprise. But uh, uh, Petra and Bean and there's, uh, there's a number of, uh, of other characters who you just don't get um, in the book at all and um yeah, it's kind of a shame i i realize they had time constraints but it, it, to me i walked out of the theater really feeling like i'd just seen a cliff's notes version of ender's game well and i think you're gonna any movie will have to do that
1: because of any type of book yeah. at, at any length and, and again but, but i i want to applaud the 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 script writers because with that one line that you just quoted that subtle line about he can never feel safe that tells you what was telegraphed in a quarter of the book? I mean, that's yeah. Now you know why they're doing what they're doing to Ender, well, and, and, and why and why God. that will be his strength, and and they could hit you in uh, over the head with it like they do in the book. Like, no, we can't, because many times in the book they have to st- they have to go. No, he has to do this on his own. No, he has to think he's failing. No, he has to think no one likes him. They do that constantly in the book, but Han Solo has that one line. And it's all, you know it all. You know what's going on. And that's because they have two hours. Yeah, two. even
0: though it, it's not a long book by any means. Uh, those of you who enjoy the movie should absolutely read the book. It's not a tremendous time investment. This isn't the stand, you know, I'm suggesting you read. We're talking a few hundred pages, not six, eight, a hundred, you know, a thousand pages here. So, um, yeah, go for it, people. Uh, I, I challenge you to read the book. Um, it's I think it's really worth your time. It really, it expands what the movie is. And I think it, if you see them, I'd be interested if you see the movie first and then read the book, maybe it gives you a lot more appreciation for the movie. Um, overall, I was really impressed. I mean, I think the production design was, was pretty impeccable. Uh, I don't have an issue with anything that we saw in the movie. I thought the battle station was cool. They just, again, and I realize that they change details from a novel to a, a, you know, a movie all the time. So I don't mean this to sound like I'm surprised when I say things like, you know, they change so many, you know, little tiny plot point details around. I couldn't figure out what the motivation was. Like um, uh, one of the big ones is when Ender gets promoted um, to to command school, Uh, they take him uh, in the book. Uh, off to a uh, basically a, a planetoid a, a, a comet uh actually wait a minute uh was it comet's ice and a meteor is rock something like that, or one gets in the atmosphere and one doesn 't whatever they basically encounter a a a rogue planetoid called Eros, and that 's where the battle school is that is that is the the chunk of rock that they liberated from the buggers. That's the chunk of rock that the buggers had already bored tunnels through, and that they kind of uh, they kind of moved into. Um, but it wasn't a planet, and it certainly wasn't the planet that um, that a queen and a colony of buggers uh, had lived on and were still living on. Now this now, was, th-
1: now this is where I think they succeed in because they are so good at at the brevity of the story like like you said it was an asteroid it wasn't a planet and stuff but what did they do they combined those elements to where you get the information you need much more easier and and it still drives the the story forward
0: yeah and I guess I'm not going to be able to give my review without having it colored heavily by the novel I just I'm sorry I'm going to fail at reviewing this film in a vacuum so my apologies to anybody who thinks no,
2: it's no, I, totally, I totally understand and appreciate your stand on that because, like I mentioned earlier, the Dan Brown uh, novels and movies, it's by Tom Hanks. Yeah. Um, he wrote Angels and Demons and then he wrote Da Vinci Code. But the Da Vinci Code is what gained popularity and notoriety and it was a big hit. I think Angels and Demons was the better book, is much better. But considering both of the movies that they made out of the books, both books. The stories in the books were so much more layered and complicated and much more to it than they were able or chose to show in the movies. So I totally get it. You know, I felt kind of like after seeing the movies, I read the books first in both cases. After seeing the movies, I was like, yeah, that was good, but they didn't put this in or they didn't do this, you know, and uh, so I, I see where you're coming from and I can understand it, but I just think that's the nature of it. I mean, you can only put so much, right? You
1: know, and I mean, it's it's for me. I always like when they can when they find the solution in the movie version to still keep the spirit of the book because yes. that, that's that's what's always going to be. It's going to be what do we sacrifice, but how do we keep the spirit of it? And that's where I think the movie and, absolutely
0: hit a home run. It they kept the spirit. They did that well. I think for me, I just. I enjoyed the nuts and bolts of it so much. the, the book, um, again in the in the book, he goes through a number of battle sessions. They describe um, the strategy he uses to defeat his opponents in what at least six six seven eight battles in the book. And in the movie, you get three. So it, to me, it felt like the his his evolution, like a uh, in was it the second battle, the one where they used the uh, the rope. And that was the last one okay okay and he ends up you're right okay mm-hmm. and uh, he ends up um, uh, basically uh, using he uses himself as a human shield and lets himself get frozen while Petra who's holding on to him behind him is blasting away and he's basically a human shield for her, and it totally works but in the book it's a natural progression of okay the battles start out simple and they get more and more complicated mm-hmm. and in that way this book um, Ender's Game felt a lot to me like uh, almost uh, uh, Asimov's Foundation series, and I mean that as a high compliment. Um, maybe it's unfair to compare Ender's Game to the Foundation series. Uh, I can't wait till they decide to make that into a movie someday or uh, a mini well, series.
1: They should make it to you a know mini what? Series. Yeah, maybe yeah, like don't do H- movie maybe
0: yeah. an HBO miniseries and each season could be a book or so. I don't, yeah, that that would be pretty cool. Um, yeah, it would be pretty cool. But um, uh, my favorite thing about the Foundation series is that. Um, this group of scientists uh, is trying to ride out basically a 1,000-year-long uh, period of galactic political instability. And so they're besieged on all sides by, uh, um, by basically uh, 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 dukes who want to be kings and by uh, space pirates and by uh, aliens with powers that don't understand all this. And the whole thing is they've got to figure out how to solve the problems in front of them. And, you know, it feels almost very Perry Masonish in the way that, okay, we've got a specific problem, and it doesn't seem like there's any way out of this problem, but somehow they figure it out. And the way they figure it out, the mechanism they use to figure out their problem and to get past it is fascinating to me. And that, in the same way, uh, figuring out the way that Ender solved, quote-unquote, Uh, All the problems, of all these different battles he had to go through was fascinating, and it was an evolution, and I think it was uh, uh, written very well uh, in the books, and I missed that in the movies, and I literally mean I missed it, I wanted to see it, because I enjoyed it so stinking much in the books, and so, again, with total understanding that you you can't have a six and a half hour, you you can't do the the unabridged version, you know, as a movie, it can't be 12 hours long, so... I understand. It just is. It's disappointing to me just because I wanted everybody else to experience uh, everything that I found to be so good with it, and we haven't even gotten to Locke and Demosthenes yet. Well, um... and that to me, I but, I, I figured that was going to get cut from the books uh-huh. or gonna get cut from the movie. But still, that one hurt. That, oh my that whole, god! That whole no, sequence no, because no. Was no, so that was so important.
2: What are you referring to?
0: Yes. Um, Bill, I will debate you... you on that. That was the
1: worst part of the book. Wow. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, let me do it. Let me do it. Uh, Brad, there, there's a there's a B story where you know how Ender has a brother and sister.
0: There's yeah. George and Valentine. Yeah, the brother is the bully, and the sister is the, the confidant. Heart. Yeah. Um, he
1: was
0: the little
2: sister in Zombie Land.
0: Yes, Abigail Breslin, yes. Uh,
1: yeah. they, they go on to kind of start a faux political movement where they, um, they play polar opposite uh, political views. Yes. But they're doing it anonymously online and it starts a movement um, on Earth. That, well, that that kind of, um, ter- yeah, it, it, it starts to kind of tear apart the government. Their, their ideas, because they have such big, grand ideas.
0: The, the beautiful thing is that basically what's happening here is these... Uh, Ender also, as anybody who saw the movie knows, Ender was a third. In this time period, it's highly unusual for parents to have more than two children, where we assume population control, but they don't ever... Spell it out explicitly. So it's extremely unusual to have a third child. You have to petition the government to give you permission to have a third child. They did. His parents got Ender after they had already gotten Peter and Valentine. Well, Peter, of course, is uh, is too physical and too violent. And Valentine uh, had too much empathy to be good commanders. Uh, Ender, uh, Graf, and, well, uh, th- the entire military got lucky that they found Ender, who turned out to be basically a combination of the two. Um, not as, you know, uh, because Ender, uh, he was not a bully, but he knew, and this is another thing. I I found it, they alluded to this fact a number of times during the movie, but they didn't say the line straight out until almost the end of the movie. This is one of the pivotal points, the pivotal thoughts of the book, the pivotal lessons of the book is that Ender has learned the lesson quickly that it's not enough to just defeat your enemy. You have to defeat them so thoroughly and so finally that they will never attack you again, and that is a, that is such an important plank in this book. Now, I now I I think the message of, of
1: the book is, and it's not from Ender's perspective, but it's that it's that deception justifies the end. Everyone in that book is deceiving everyone else. Uh, Graf is is deceiving Ender. Yeah. By not helping him, right? Uh, uh, Valentine and George are are uh, are de- are uh, are deceiving the public with with their manifestos. Yes, and and in the end, it's always justified that that we are doing this to make things better. It's okay that you lose your soul. You know what's
0: more important: to save everything or to lose your soul? Well, now I think that and, um, well, like that the military graph especially feels he's losing his soul by, by doing the stuff to enter that he, he's not comfortable with doing, but he realizes that if it's a case of saving our species, then I will do what it takes to survive, to help our, to help humanity survive. Um, I think one of the great twists at the end, and this is not the one you're talking about. Um, but the twist at the end that, you know what, we can't be really sure In, in the book. They never really give you this thought that I did get in the movie that the military, there's every possibility the military did not need to end the bugger civilization, basically, by, by going and destroying their home planet and all the queens
1: Now I, involved. I, now, uh, Ender does say at one point in the movie, right. he, he says that that like they weren't attacking, they were right. defending themselves.
0: Well, but he says that after the, the climax, after yeah. the final battle. And uh, so Ender kind of realizes that point. My my reading between the lines uh, in the movie theater was that he kind of reads between the lines and says, "You know what? I think you deceived me. I think that these guys weren't actually these buggers weren't actually an, a problem. You all have just been so paranoid and scared of the thought that they might come back someday that you decide to launch a preemptive strike." In the book, it felt to me a lot less of a gray area. That we were that we had justification to be scared of the, the buggers, the Formics. And it, they do a much better job in the book of explaining that, that what they've done is, at the conclusion of the first Formic Wars, that Mazer Rackham wins mysteriously. They end up explaining to us how and why. But right after that, the first thing the Earth does is they make battleships And they send them off to the Buggers' home planet, which is about a 60-year journey. And so they're dealing with the classic uh, Star Trek, the old series, time factor, only it's a macro scale because they've got 60 years to get someone ready to go, not, you know, I cannot start the engines in 15 minutes, it's against the laws of physics kind of stuff. Um, But... In the book, I never felt like this is a highly questionable action. I mean, it it almost felt like a little tiny bit of left-wing propaganda kind of inserted into the movie. Just that, hey, you know, just to let you know, the Americans, you know, by that meaning, you know, Earthlings are actually the bad guys in the story. And I think that's something that the movie played with the idea of that the book really didn't. And and I kind of... I think the book... Did. I think the book
1: painted the humans as the monsters at the end I think we are the we had become the aggressors all in the name of protecting our species i just i thought i, I, the, I
0: think it i think the book said that as much as the movie and did. I'm sorry again it's been a few months since I read the book but I don't remember thinking there's the buggers have been quiet for sixty years they've shown no propensity to you know, attack the earth. They haven't left their solar system. They don't seem to be amassing a fleet. You know, they, they didn't point any of these things out in the book, which could have given you, you know, which could have swayed your, your opinion. One of, you know, the two directions to go. Um, I just, uh, in the movie. And when I say left-wing propaganda, I'm not trying to, this is not, this is not Fox news. I'm not trying to go that way. I've just, it felt to me like there was a little bit more of an emphasis put on the idea of that we might be the bad guys and in the book, um, I, I, believe you that that those passages were in there, but reading it, I never really got that sense. So I, well, I, I felt a little cleaner of conscience at the end of, of the book than I did the movie.
1: The, the key to me that we were the bad guys was the fact was how they got Ender to win this battle. They couldn't, um, uh, we'll talk about the ending. Let's mention the ending real quick. Um, Ender, who believes he's going to his final exam to go to graduate, it turns out that final exam is actually a real battle. Well, it turns out that the entire he doesn't know
0: that. No, the entire time they've been on Eros. and that's another thing. In the book, there are numerous battles at the final battles, the officers' battle school, and it turns out that every one of those battles, he was actually directing real live ships in real time and and, in. You know he was. Uh, they, they use this device called the ansible, which gives them uh, real-time communication with these ships that are sixty, you know, sixty years away from the Earth. And so, without knowing it, he is directing. Uh, he thinks he's playing video games. He's actually directing real live people in real live ships having real live battles with the Buggers. And when he
1: destroys the Buggers' home planet, he
2: just, yeah.
1: he thinks he has passed the final exam, when in reality, he and had destroyed a species. Now, no, no, no wait, hold on. This is where humans are painted as the bad guy because they could never tell him that right. or else he wouldn't do it. He had to be deceived into doing that. Okay,
0: this is where the book comes in handy uh, as far as not thinking the earth people are bad guys because you realize at the end that he's he's fought a number of battles a half a dozen or so or more battles against the buggers at command school trying to get to the home planet for the final battle so in the movie it's like one battle and then the final battle and so in the movie it's almost like hey you know let's go to battle school and you're gonna basically have a, a dress rehearsal and then your final exam well and no, that, I... that, uh, there's just i'm sorry there's just a lot in the movie that felt rushed, plot-wise. That, that didn't give the spirit of the book quite its due. So, Brad, did you
1: think at during that final part of the movie was um, was Ender training, or was Ender doing ba- uh, actually conducting battles?
2: No, I was shocked when I found out that the training simulation that he had finished, and he and you know everybody else started celebrating and hooping and hollering. I was shocked to find out that that was an actual live battle. And I feel sorry for Andrew that they deceived him like that because I'm convinced, while technically minded and strategically inclined as he may be, if he'd have known he was about to destroy an entire species, there's no way he would have done it. He's only a kid.
1: Yeah, And, 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 I,
2: and they, the and, adults realized that as well. And that's why they couldn't be honest with him. They used this kid. And, you know, we heard, we heard Indiana Jones say, well, you know, the black lady was, was saying to him, he's just a kid, you know, how are we going to, what's it going to do to him? And he was like, what does it matter if nobody's left? And so you see both sides of it, And but I just felt sorry for the kid, you know, and I'm convinced that he wouldn't he wouldn't have done it had he known it. And I'm, I'm sure that's the whole point, you know. But um, no, like I said, I was very surprised to not see it coming.
1: It, it was definitely rock and a hard place, wasn't it? It's like you we either do nothing and hope for the best or we just go ahead and and cover ourselves and kill everyone um Brad Brad was under the impression that he was training the whole time that he that he thought he was training and not do, conducting battles that's kind of cool and and in the book that was the impression i got that he was training the whole time up until the end when it is revealed that that was actually a battle i never got the impression that he was doing these small battles here and there okay and then the final. Well,
0: um, I'd have to go back and reread the book again to be sure, but my impression is that uh, with respect, you two guys are totally wrong about that. Um, he, it was they were they were training sessions up until he got to Eros, and from that point on, they were real battles to the end. And that brings me to my biggest single nitpick with the movie. And I'm, man, dang it, I don't want to be sitting here picking the movie apart. I want to be telling you how cool it was and how big time you need to go see it a buddy of mine at work has gone to go see has gone to see the movie a second time because he loved it so much um so there are people out there who have really dug it um so for me the i think the most powerful moment of the book was when ender defeats uh his kobayashi maru scenario basically his final exam and he turns around in the book and he looks up at all the generals who are watching, you know, in the room behind him or whatever. And Ender turns around, um, you know, he's he's won the he's won the game, and he turns around and in the book it's very clearly states that a lot of the generals and stuff are crying. And he realizes at that moment, it rushes onto him that holy cow, this wasn't a game. This was for real. And at that point, the dominoes kind of start tumbling over and you realize that it's been real this whole time. It's not just, you know, this has not been a video game. He has been warring with an alien species without knowing it this whole time. And that passage in the book, I just, I had to set it down and just, I had to find some place to sit. I That that affected me greatly. And and it's rare for a book, no matter how great it is, that I have to put it down and just go, whoa! <laughs> and just think about it for a few minutes. It's just digest it and let it turn over my head um a movie uh, will do that to me but you know unless you actually have a, a remote control you know you have to ride with it but i thought that was an incredibly powerful moment in the book my, my probably my favorite moment in the book and in the movie they dilute that moment which actually made me a little bit angry because ender he defeats the buggers he turns around, he's got his arms raised, he goes, yeah, well, I'm trying to remember the line, but he goes he goes, how do you like me now, or how'd you like that, or, you know, did I do good, or whatever it is he says, and...
2: Hey, Bill? Yeah. I think he said, how do you like them apples? Ah, okay. <laughs> That's what he did say, nice. yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's awesome. But, but so yeah, in the movie, he turns around, and instead of the generals being relieved on, like, like at... Our human race will keep on existing, kind of level. Uh, they're uh, furtively discussing things amongst themselves. It, it, it reminded me; it looked about like it looked like all the refs getting together after a, a play in the NFL, trying to discuss. You know, was that clipping or was that holding? Or you know, it, it, that's what it felt like to me. So you didn't get this. You didn't get that. That emotional, that brilliant emotional moment of, oh my heavens, that was real. You know, and, and you know, I, I think they kind of cheated the viewer a little tiny bit right at that moment.
1: I, I um, we were kind of flopped on on, on on how we feel about that, Bill, because in the book, I thought the ending was telegraphed
0: a mile away. And see, I, I had but, listened to the audiobook and I, I'm not the kind of person to figure that kind of stuff out. I usually set my brain on cruise control and just mm-hmm. enjoy the ride. And I... Even having experienced this book as an unabridged audio book many years before, I had forgotten that that was the twist. And I was surprised when that moment showed up. And I did get that sense of tremendous satisfaction from realizing I had just been punked <laughs> by the author. The, uh, I thought the movie, though, this is, this is where we differ, it communicated
1: that really well. That I did not feel cheated. That um
2: Yeah, I can com- I completely agree. I was totally shocked. I got that feeling that you described, Bill, from reading the book, like, holy crap, this is real. Yeah. And whether it was in the book, all of those things I've just done, all of those battles that I thought were simulations, they were just real. Whether it was that or holy crap in the movie, holy crap, this one final simulation that I just did was real it doesn't matter if it was one or multiple it's still the shock that i felt i imagine you know was similar to what you felt when you heard the book the first time
0: yeah and and i will say that the way the the way that that the movie visualized that final battle was amazing i mean i was blown away because in the book they do a really good job of getting the point across to you that that they're not just going up against an opposing fleet. They're going up against basically the might of an entire planet. I mean, it, but but they weren't able in the book. the one place, I think, where the movie really shines over the book is them showing you, you know, literally visualizing the army and how drastically over, you know, outnumbered and overwhelmed the, the Earthers should be by this, and... That whole sequence with Ender directing, you know, basically sacrificing all the other uh, all the other battleships in favor of his. He gets all the drone ships and they cocoon his ship. And the line he has about "I want rings within rings, circles within circles," and he he puts everything into protecting this one ship so it can blast its nova bomb off the planet's surface and destroy the whole thing. And it was brilliant strategy. And in the book. They do a great job. Uh, that that's one thing that the movie again does not do well is I thought in the movie that whole sequence with him going back to the Earth for a few weeks was really weird. It, it felt really out of place. In the book, it feels very natural. That you know because you've been with him for long enough, you've gone through enough battles and experienced enough of the of the things that he has. That when he says I'm burned out and I quit, you get it. In the movie, it felt like what. I mean, if I hadn't read the book, I probably would have looked at the person sitting next to me and gone, what the heck's going on here? He's fought like two battles and he's burned out. It's like, this must be him making a political stand or something. When no, in the the novel, it makes it clear that it was emotional exhaustion that, that he has been used and burned at both ends to the point of, you know, the end of his endurance. And when he gets that reprieve, he goes back to earth for like three weeks in the book and he absolutely needs it in, in the movie he almost sounds petulant it's like well i just i don't want to play your game anymore i'm going to take my ball and go home and i did not appreciate that change that they made uh for the the for the movie version of the book um so there there are, again a number of areas where i just felt kind of nitpicky um but uh but yeah when he when he comes back, and, and what they do show you in the movie is really stinking cool. I just for if you find listeners out there who haven't figured it out yet, I suggest you read the book.
2: <laughs> now, um, I want to tell you guys. I want to tell you guys what my favorite part of the movie was and what my least favorite part of the movie was. Um, my favorite part was how the end of battle reflected his strategy. That he had in the first simulation of which he was the commander of his own army. I thought that was really cool. You know how all, everybody on his team surrounded the one kid and they flew through all of the opposing army. Yes. Just so they could get the one, they protected the one kid just so they could get him through the gate, you know? Right. And win the battle. I thought that was neat how that was reflected in the final battle when he says, I want rings upon rings of people protecting Petra's ship. I thought that was really uh, well done. Um, the thing, if I had one complaint about the movie, was the Mandarin's tattoo on his face was extremely <laughs> distracting. I found myself looking at it like I was trying to work a maze, <laughs> like, uh, and I I never really quite understood what that was all about. I thought he was I thought he was a human. Was he a human?
1: He yeah. he says at one point it's to honor his heritage. Yeah. There's a
0: line in there about how it's.
1: It's meant to, I think he's supposed
0: to be Native American or and something. And it's like, he was from like a, an Aboriginal tribe or an Indian tribe or something where it's 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 kind of a, an almost a living history to put these almost notations on your face that look like tattoos.
2: Right. But okay. Brad, I... I do remember I, that now. And I almost would have preferred to see something more along the lines of a Mike Tyson type tattoo mm-hmm. because that thing was just... It was hideous, and
0: like I said, I wish I had had a sharpie so I could draw maze
2: <laughs> on the movie screen. Or a
1: Chicote, <laughs> maybe? Huh? Little we'll your Love, yeah, there, Brad.
2: Taking a Chakotay tattoo. <laughs> so.
1: I love the Chakotay yeah. tap- tattoo. Um,
2: that was my only complaint.
1: Yeah, I'm with you on that I tattoo, tattoo, tattoo as well, Brad. I'm with you on that tattoo as well. That that uh, I thought that was a little too much. Um, okay. Well, as we get close to wrap up, okay. uh, and, just, and give I our final thing reviews. about the okay.
0: end, real quick. Okay. Um, one thing that I thought was so amazing in the book, you're exhausted with Ender and the final battle, they don't really tell you this in the movie, but in the book, it's made it clear that the reason Ender chooses the strategy he does where it's, it's, he puts all of his eggs literally into one basket is that he has basically given up. He, uh, he has been pushed so far and for so long they basically says, screw it. You want me to win? I'm just going to freaking win. And I don't care what happens. All I'm concerned with is winning. He has been up to this point concerned with not just winning, but winning well. You know, winning with style, winning and protecting his his avatars, his, his players in the video game. And I think that's one more thing that, that, that makes it such kind of a, uh, a, a cold rush to the face when you realize what's actually been happening, is that when he goes into this final exam, his final battle in the in the book, um, he has had it, and they basically they almost force him not not physically, but they basically cajole him into to taking this final exam. He, he's basically ready to quit. The ba- his little three week vacation on Earth helped, but did not cure him. Uh, he was just a complete burnout, and so his strategy at the very end was just, okay, fine, you want me to win? I'm going to win by any means necessary. I'm going to do the most drastic thing I can think of, and I'm just going to win it, and I don't care what my efficiency ratings are. I don't care how, how few people I lose. I'm just going to win. And they, they made a point in the book that not only was he winning all his battles, but so few of his people got killed that that was almost the thing that was most amazing about his aptitude for these war games he was ostensibly playing. And... So, yeah, just, so when he's playing this final game and he's sacrificing five of the six, you know, five of the six battleships um, just to get the last one in, it's almost literally a give up move on his part. He's just, he has gotten past the point. He's done caring about the consequences. He just wants to cross the finish line. And it turns out that, you know, you would have to read between the lines to know this. Is this exactly what Graf had been training him for? Had Graf been exhausting him? and measuring him to this point specifically to get into the point where he would literally throw everything out the window and just and just try to win at any cost in the final battle or was this just a product of you know it just was it serendipity was it just coincidence that that you know because Graf knew that he was burning in or out the whole time you know that's one thing they discussed in the, in the book again is that he and, and his his assistant and assistants, They discuss the fact that they are rapidly burning Ender to the core, and he's not going to have anything left to give them. And so part of this is a race between them trying to mold Ender into this weapon and completely burning him out to the point where he's useless to him. And they almost get to that point during the final battle, and they're very lucky that, uh, that they were actually doing it all for real because I don't think, you know... There's no way that it would have worked out that well if they hadn't. So, okay. there you go. So, Thank you. I had to get that off my chest.
1: So, before we give our reverse flashes, um, the budget for this movie was 110 million. It's actually really low these days. So, uh, do you guys want to take a guess at the weekend gross? Bill, we'll,
0: let, we'll go with you first. No, I, I, I saw something. I think it was it was in the twenty thirty million dollar range. Brad,
2: my guess said thirty. Thirty.
0: It's
1: actually 27. I don't know if that's good or bad, but uh, right underneath it is uh, the new Jackass movie, Bad Grandpa. Now its budget was 15 million, and it's uh, last week it made 20 million, and its gross 61 million.
0: Well, we don't want to get into this
1: on this
2: (laughs) show,
0: but I wonder how much bigger the receipts for Ender's Game could have been had this whole subplot with Orson Scott Card's personal political beliefs. And societal beliefs not entered into it.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's something that uh, I don't think we'll ever know because it's it's. Uh, I know when I brought up that I was seeing this movie, several people said I'm not seeing this because of what uh, Orson Card had to say about gay marriage, which is basically what uh, he, he's against it, and he was kind of vocal about it. And I hadn't even heard about that up until a couple weeks ago.
0: And you know what? Good for you. I just I think it's to proselytize here for a moment. It's ridiculous to refuse to see a movie, and, and I don't know. I mean, I, I I want nothing to do with a Roman Polanski movie, but I think this is different. Um, I just, it's like, you know what? Go get a Chick Fil A if you want to. It doesn't mean you're siding on one side or the other of a political or societal debate. You know, if you want to go see a cool sci-fi movie, go see Ender's Game. You're not validating Orson Scott Card's opinion. You know, it doesn't. There doesn't have to be a connection there. And I just think it's one thing where society is so far too many people are so worried about political correctness and nonsense like that, that I just think it it is bled over into our entertainment choices. And that's ridiculous. You know, if, if you like the Dixie chicks, who cares what they said about president Bush, you know, I mean, just enjoy what you enjoy and, you know, barring, you know, Gary glitter and, and Roman Polanski type of things. You know, what they do in their personal life shouldn't really interfere with it. I mean, you like baseball. You like sports athletes that are absolute cretins. You know, you root for sports teams that have guys on it that don't do wholesome things, you know, with their spare time. And it just, it, it's the same drill. You know, if you're able to be a Cowboys fan in the 90s, you should be able to go see Ender's game now. And, okay, now I'm off my soapbox. I tried to make that as brief as possible. And uh, if I offended people, sorry. I I would rather live in a non-PC world.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, Brad, we were going to wrap up here. Anything else you want to add?
2: Not about the movie itself. I did have an email uh, regarding our last episode. Um, I could read that or I could save it for down the road.
0: No, hit it. Hey, what do you think, Frank? No, hit it. I say go for it. Okay, this is uh, from Matthew Marks. Uh, He says, to set the record straight... Wait a minute, he says, hello,
2: how are you? I am fine. Yay! (laughs) To set the record straight, Lawrence Kasdan was by no means the main force behind the story of Empire Strikes Back. The first draft of the script, which had Anakin and Vader as different characters, and maybe had something to do with Han searching for his stepfather, was done by Lee Brackett. Lucas then reworked the story up to the fourth draft, and then brought on Kasdan, who had just finished his Raiders screenplay, which Lucas hadn't even read yet, to rework the dialogue because he was desperate and in a time crunch. So Casden did contribute a big thing to Empire, namely the dialogue. George Lucas neither liked writing dialogue nor was very good at it. Anyway, I'm not trying to take anything away from Kasdan's screenplay writing ability because he did do Raiders, which is a masterpiece. Matt Marks, Matthew Marks. I don't think, Matthew, that... Um, he, either of the three of us were trying to say that Kazan wrote Empire. I, I think we were all pretty aware that he was involved with the screenplay, and that's the part that we we're excited about because Empire was dialogue-wise probably the best of the of the three movies because of Kazan's uh, script doctoring, if you will. So I think that's what the three of us were saying. And when we were expressing our excitement of his involvement with the with episode
1: seven, am I right, guys? I, I would agree with that. You know, uh, going back, I can't quite remember what we were talking about, but um, you know, definitely from a dialogue
0: perspective, Empire's yeah. a home run. Well, I remember thinking, and I'm sure I mentioned this, that uh, I think Kasdan is Kasdan is uh, one of the uh, is the co-writer of Empire Strikes Back in the credits. Um, and maybe I didn't realize that he was merely a dialogue, uh, you know, here comes the plot, okay, now give me the dialogue for it. Sounds like, uh, making movies in the mighty Marvel manner, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, I think we're all in agreement that George Lucas has great ideas, it's just that sometimes it's better when he lets somebody else execute those ideas.
0: Yeah, well, Lucas needs an editor, period. Yeah. And whether that editor is Lawrence Kasdan or, or, you know... I okay who wrote the uh, I guess the Star Wars the the original screenplay um, was written by George Lucas um, was there anybody with co-writing credits on Star Wars I'm looking, yes I'm referring to Star Wars not as episode four a new hope because that's for stupid people Lawrence Cra-
1: uh, Lawrence Kasdan does get um, screenplay credit I'm on IMDB let me look up Star is this Wars. on uh, episode four yeah okay so I'm looking up Star Wars 77. Uh, to, to, to George Lucas, he is a writer. George Lucas is down as writer for Star Wars. Okay. Uh, anyway. I think
2: I think the prequels were full of great ideas that he came up with, but they also had some bad ideas that they weren't filtered by other people, you know, by a third and fourth and fifth draft or by a screenwriter who, who might say, Hey George, I see where you're going with this, but I think if we left this out and addressed this it, you know, would work better for story. So, I I do think that uh, episodes seven, and eight, and nine are going to be really good, full of really great ideas. And I'm hopeful that he will. Well, I guess he's really not that involved with them anymore because he's not running the show. So that that that's a good thing. I think they'll take his ideas and really. We can uh, to be something
1: special you yeah. know um, go, going back to episodes one two and three and Lucas you know he had had what maybe 20 years under his belt of the first three movies and um, he was not only an industry but he was uh he was somewhat of a legend to a lot of people and I think a lot of people were just afraid to say no to him or to say that's a bad idea because he had he had all this stuff a ast- under his belt. I mean, not, not just Star Wars, but Empire Strikes Back, or I'm sorry, um, the Raiders movies. I mean, he, he has a pedigree of hits that, you know, in, in the end, it's a business. And, and apparently he's a very smart businessman because he just makes tons of money. And, and, I, and I think in the end, it's, it's not about, uh, and this is short-term talking, it's not about the legacy, it's about what you bring in bank account wise. Lucas could bring in money.
0: And uh, just for the record, I'm sitting here looking at... Uh, uh, I had a friend, uh, Jeremy uh, Cooley, give this to me. Um, kind of gave it to Sage. But I've got the original movie script uh, from the movie script library. It's the actual screenplay. And the screenplay, uh, it says it's written by George Lucas. So I, I've i not read this thing all the way through from beginning to end. But I've, I've opened up and looked at passages and I've never... Definitely noticed passages in the screenplay which are different from the movie itself. Um, so, I, I'm not trying to say that anybody's a liar. Um, it's quite likely the Lawrence cast and, you know, smoothed a couple of edges here or there. But according to the original movie script, which I'm holding in my hands, uh, it was George Lucas's baby, and nobody else gets credit for helping him write it.
1: You know, uh, what's kind of a coincidence here that we end on this email and stuff is that as soon as we finish recording, Bill and I are going to go uh, hop in a car and drive over to comic book store uh, so I can get the latest issue of The Star Wars, the original first draft of the, um, of the movie that's been made into a comic book. And so far reading it, I guess this is the third issue. It's terrible. <laughs> but uh, being a Star Wars fan, I just want to read it to see how it differs from the uh, from the movie. Nice. By we the way, not record that. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, we'll just record that uh, as we're driving out there.
0: And uh, you might not know this, but uh, in the back of this is some additional information. And uh, Mark Hamill, uh, it has his uh, his work in film and TV from 1974 to 1993. Uh, this um, script was uh, produced and sold in 1994. But um, before he did Star Wars in 1977, um, Mark Hamill did uh, Wizards, which is one of those movies that I thought was, it was a Ralph Bakshi uh, animated film, which I loved when I was in uh, high school. Yes, and, uh, I remember the poster. Yeah. And I wonder if it holds up these days. I want to watch it again someday. But um, Mark Hamill in 1975 was in an episode of One Day at a Time. <laughs> you might not know that. One day at a time. One day at a time. So walk on in. <laughs> dun, dun.
1: So Brad, um, do we have enough people for our call-out show?
2: We still have room for one or two. So if you're still interested in doing that,
1: okay. Uh, and just and briefly, okay, guys, we're this record
2: is on a woman's day. What day is
1: it? Uh, it's November the twentieth, and we're asking for three songs uh, from '86, '96, in 2006. And uh, email us at halfhourwaste at gmail.com. And then we'll communicate with you as to when we will call you and talk about that, that song you want. So the, apparently there's still room. Again, November 20th, around 6 p.m. Uh, we're going to start. And somewhere between 6 and 10, we're going to call you. Uh, but we'll communicate that uh, for you. So we'd yes. love to hear from you.
2: Cool. Well, sorry I couldn't be there in person, guys. But this is, uh, this is okay. We are too, baby.
1: So, get your truck fixed, and um, tell you what, yeah. uh, do you have the boilerplate in front of you? Why don't you read it? I don't have it. Okay. Uh, uh, we'll my do computer's it th- dead, remember? Oh, okay. Well, but you remember, well, if they want to leave us a voicemail, Brad, how did they do that?
2: 972
1: And if they want um, to drop us an email, what's our email address? wasted
2: at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at wasted. We have a Facebook group. Uh, Join if you'd like. Um, it's kind of had a resurgence of weight, is kind of nice. Um, uh, there's one other thing I was going to mention I don't
1: recall, but off the top of my head. And if it's important, I'll give you guys a call or I'll just mention it the next time I'm with you. Um, well, we are going to see four uh, next week, but we probably won't talk about that for a while. But that's going to be. Um, yep. uh, and I, unfortunately, because of Brad's work schedule, we're going to see it uh, sans him. But we are going to have Brian Nixon with well, us.
2: I will. Because of my work schedule, I will be able to see it Friday morning first thing. So um, I'm actually going to see it before you guys, but not with you. Cool.
1: Well, okay, with that, guys, we want to thank you so much for listening to A Half Hour Wasted. Brad, we'll see you next time. Guys, we'll see all of you next time on Half Hour Wasted. Golf clap. Golf clap.